Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. On today's show, I'm chatting with Phil Sineski, who spends his days as a product developer for CCD Innovation. Phil has a robust background in the food industry, which you'll hear more about in a moment. And he brings his expertise to today's podcast, where we're going to talk about all about developing craveable products that build consumer loyalty and increase same store sales. We're talking through product development with an eye towards clean label formulations, scaling your brand, debating keeping production in-house versus going with a co-packer, and finally ensuring that folks even buy your products once you do launch. We clearly have a lot to talk about, so let's get right to it. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. Hey, before we jump in, I want to make sure that you've grabbed my free retail roadmap, a workbook that outlines my nine steps to building a brand that flies off the shelf. If you're a producer of a packaged product in the food industry, you are going to want this. I'll add it to today's show notes, so make sure you check out that PDF when you're done listening. Thanks. Hi, Phil. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Hi, Allie. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Okay, so my whizzes, my listeners, you heard me mention that Phil has a broad background in the food industry. So I want to start right there. So Phil, you've got a background in Michelin starred and James Beard Award finalist kitchens, which led you to work at a product development consultancy. So, so tell me about that. Is that where you first got interested in the idea of using byproducts and food waste in manufacturing? It is. Yeah, the margins are uh, just so slim in a restaurant <laughs> kitchen that successful yeah. chefs have to use all parts of an animal or using, you know, all parts of, the, of a vegetable to stem cooking. It's kind of a chef driven ideal to not waste food and also not the waste all the resources that went into making it. So like carrot tops, for example, yep. you know, it can be used to make a pesto since it's in the same family as a as parsley, you can also use it to make a, a chimichurri. So for example, restaurant chefs, this is one way they can determine what they're going to run as a menu addition, whether it's a pasta or a steak for the weekend. Um, another good example, I guess, more more specific to me is one winner, you know, I was pastry chef for a, a tasting menu restaurant. Um, I wanted to source seasonal ingredients, like as opposed to relying mm-hmm. on tropical fruits from yep. you know, other other countries. So I created a dish from carrot peels and, and celery peels where I juiced the, the carrot peels I took the pulp and folded it into carrot beignets, and then I took mm. the carrot peels, dehydrated it, um, and and made like carrot and celery chips and, and celery chips as well. Cool. With the with the celery juice, I made a uh, a celery sorbet, and then also uh, with the carrot juice, I made a carrot creme anglaise, um, and then fried the the soya leaves to order. And 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 the way I composed the dish, it was sort of like a play on a carrot cake, where it was like yeah yeah car- carrot chips, celery chips fried celery, crispy leaves, carrot beignets, and sitting in a bowl of carrot crumb glaze with some toasted hazelnuts and kind of just mimicking the experience of a carrot cake. Oh my um, God, so that, you I, I think are making like, me hungry. You are making me <laughs> hungry. Next, <laughs> next time, next time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of like one, it's sort of like one ideal, you know, and, and a couple examples of like how, how chefs just take things that 
you know, traditionally have gone into a compost bin or a stock pot and then yeah. putting it on the menu and highlighting it like as, as like a value add ingredient. And that yeah. was sort of like, that was, that was sort of the ideal when, when I got my first job at a food and beverage consultancy it was, uh, it was, it was, you know, what can, what can companies do to, you know, use ingredients that they're already existing in their supply chain. Um, and, and at the time formulating products from, from waste streams is a little new concept. This is, mm-hmm. you know, in, yeah. in 2016 when the, when the term upcycled was, was pretty unfamiliar to consumers and, and the industry like overall. Um, yep. But simultaneously I was involved with the research chef association, um, RCA, uh, it's a nonprofit with a mission of elevating product development by blending culinary arts and the science of food. And with the help of Open IDEO's Food Waste Alliance, um, yep. I used a human-centered design approach to create the world's first food waste product development student competition. Cool. Oh, my God. Can you tell me, tell me about this? Yeah. I, I don't know Absolutely. anything about this. Great. Yeah. So it's a competition uh, that just focuses on byproducts that specifically occur through food manufacturing. So things like juice pulp, um, brewer spent grain, coffee cherries, coffee fruit, um, green banana flour yeah. from unripe uh, green bananas and, <clears throat> and ugly bananas. And in creating this <clears throat> competition, I sort of indirectly created a market for myself. I know right? it, was, it was really it was inconveniently convenient. Yeah. Um, where companies were, you know, looking to, to, they, they were asking me like, what do you want your career plans to look like? Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. how serious are you about upcycling? Um, and, 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 you know, for, it was, it was small companies that were cultivated off a of byproduct as well as like big companies that, you know, were sitting on like literal metric tons of waste. Yeah. And, and, you yeah. know, as a chef, I can't wow. think of a more responsible way of, of taking, you know, food waste and then making something delicious. And that's, yeah. that's when I joined the cool. Regrain team. Um, yes. And, you know, I'm proud yes. to say, you know, at Regrain, you know, we're really one of the thought leaders in, in making consumers aware of what upcycled foods are from a CPG lens, as well as, you know, being an ingredient supplier. And then, yeah. I'm, you know, as mentioned, like, I'm even more proud to say that the RCA Food Waste Student Competition has really grown into an upcycled innovation platform yep. that connects the freshest industry perspectives to companies increasingly researching what we're going to be eating in the future challenges future food leaders to develop a fully packaged sustainable food product using upcycled ingredients. It troubleshoots how ingredients historically considered waste can be formulated at every scale. And it identifies the tastemakers who best combine culinary arts with the science of food so that wherever they go, small company, large company, upcycled company, or traditional food company, they're really ambassadors for you know how upcycling can elevate product development with a new lens that creates that, that yeah. combines, you know, culinary arts with the science of food. And that's something I'm really passionate about. This is cool, Phil. So I want to say two things here. One, you should be, well, it sounds like you are, and rightfully so, so proud of this work. This, I mean, this competition oh, you. That, <laughs> that you started has has grown into this enormous thing that is so, uh, feels so so topical. It feels so important right now as we are, yeah. are thinking about climate change and, and doing better through, you know, through what we produce and what we eat. Um, totally. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're just taking cool. ingredients that already exist in our supply chain and just regenerating them into nutrition, into nutritious ingredients that we can preserve. And, yeah. you know, like as, as chefs and as like culinary scientists, you know, we really have the ability to give ingredients, the mobility up and down the supply chain to create circular food economies as opposed to that traditional take, make, disposal linear food economy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the second thing so that I was going, yeah. yeah, the second thing that I was going to say, Phil, is that I, when I think of you, I think of upcycled foods. Like you, the, oh, thank you. the two are just like synonymous in my mind because I remember when I, I first met you, I don't know if you remember this, but I hosted, uh, an industry happy hour after, fancy food show fancy this food. was like yep. yes exactly after fancy this food, was january this was... 2018 yep yes or yes. 2000 uh, yep. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah that's yes, yes. 2018 or 19 one of the two yeah. <laughs> exactly uh way pre-covid and it was a really fun thing that i like to do after fancy food you know in san francisco in my own backyard i know you're from here too but um i would host a happy hour and i remember you you and the regrain team came to one of them and you were just so passionate about working at Regrained. You were so passionate about um, using byproducts in in a way that uh, really transformed them into delicious, delicious things rather than just, you know, oh, it feels like we're eating carrot tops here. And I, I remember right. just Appreciate being that. so, so excited by your passion. And so it, I love that it's coming full circle and we we finally have you on the podcast. So uh, very sincerely saying, I'm excited to talk to you, Phil. You have such um, such a depth of knowledge in this in this arena, and oh, thanks. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So, whew, for our listeners who don't know what regrained is, do you want to just give the one liner, and then we'll talk about what you um, you know we'll talk about our topic here, developing these these products that build loyalty and sales. So, what's regrained? Sure. Regrain is a brand ingredient platform uh, that connects urban craft breweries to sustainable food systems. Um, and they're, they're the first ingredient that they're upcycling in their portfolio is spent brewer's grain into a high protein, high impact ingredient, you know, that they're calling Regrain Supergrain Plus, you know, that like hypothetically could be in every aisle of the grocery store. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's on one side, there's CPG brand and uh, and that has a lot of that and and, and using their CPG brand <clears throat> regrain has created a lot of demand for the abundant um, inherent supply that they're using food technology concepts to standardize an ingredient that it, 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 I mean, every brewery is trying to figure out how to take yeah. waste into taste. And so regrain is going to be the lead on that. And yeah, yeah um, sure. I, I stoked for the team there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for them too. Can I, I'm, I'm going to go off script here and I've, I've got a question that sure. I'm, I'm always curious about. And I feel like you are the perfect person to ask this to. Do you feel like there's any consumer pushback about paying for byproducts? A little you bit. Know what I mean? Yeah. You, and you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. Like what in, in 2017 and in 2018, you know, much of the conversation around upcycling and specifically mm-hmm. around like the, the consumer market of upcycling yeah. uh, was you don't market food waste. You don't right. call it food waste. <laughs> you, you, you like it may it's it sounds great to chefs. It sounds great to foodies. Yeah. It, it sounds great to like a very niche category, but it doesn't yeah. have a lot of mass market appeal. Yeah. I'd say even in the last like two and a half years, the, the, the consumer markets really changed the mm-hmm. industry you know, of, of food has, yeah. yep. has always been really excited about, you know, the, the, the concept of, of upcycling to its higher use for mm-hmm. food, for human consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think has changed is, is brands are realizing that like, it's not just, you can't just lead with upcycling. It has right. to, <laughs> it, it has to be upcycling and nutritious. Like it has to right. add like 
uh, value, you know, to the, right. to the end product. Um, if right. it's like, if you're upcycling, like the, the food waste competition, you know, I, I oversee and, and, and founded one year, um, one of my buddies, he, he, uh, he makes us pork belly sandwiches for Arby's. Mm. Mm. And it, it's literally one of the, the biggest sous vide in the country. And as a result, they have a lot of this like rendered, like perfectly seasoned bacon fat. Yeah, and, sounds delicious. And we, we, we used it. Yeah, it, it, it totally is delicious. Yeah. They have a lot of it. Right. But I mean, how like how how attractive, you know, is that right. like on a consumer right. label? You know, it's yeah. like up like bacon fat from waste supply chain or, or whatever right. you can get it to yeah. say. You know, yeah. but another great example, like in turn is green banana flour, like green mm, banana yeah. flour is like a high resistant starch that could potentially end it in, in a lot of ways. You know, it replaces cornstarch, tapioca mm-hmm. starch, um, mm-hmm. cassava is a really good example yeah. Um, yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of that. And so like it's these it's these ingredients like green banana flour, you know, brewer spent grain, um, okara flour from Renewal Mill who that mm-hmm. really like just pop to the consumer because they're already trying to eat healthy and they want to support right. like a, a, a better uh, a, a better circular food economy and, and a more efficient food system that enables our our, our society and community to do more with less so yeah. this is like one way of doing it and then paying you know x amount for an upcycled ingredient that is maybe a little pricier because it's a newer market um than you know xanthan gum and and, and mm-hmm. modified cornstarch mm-hmm. for example yeah. Yeah. um it's it's um it's it's been interesting to see that the consumer is getting on board with it and a lot of it has to do with the creation of the the new upcycled foods association so major shout mm-hmm. out to um turner wyatt and, and ben gray and and um, professor jonathan deutsch at the drexel food lab who um in 2008 18 um uh, was was the only academia research uh, that, that oh, wow. cited upcycling is something that consumers will be willing to pay for um, almost as much as organic. So, so that cool. that's, that's, there's, oh, there's that's, been a lot of data. Cool. There's been yeah. a lot of data being collected, but, but earlier on in, in upcycles in, in, in food in up early on in upcycled foods infancy, um, yeah. there was no data. The data was a lot of these emerging brands um, mm-hmm. whey protein from 40, yep. 40 years ago yeah. is like sort yeah. of the, the gold standard upcycling, but it's like a B2B ingredient more yeah. so than like the marketing around, you know, how, how impact driven it can be to use like ingredients with a story. Um, right. so that, that's a, it's really exciting to, to continue it's- to see upcycling. Yeah. yeah. It's cool that it's shifting. And I think it, I, I love that you say that the consumer perspective has changed even over the past two years or so. And now it's yeah. even more viable to, to sell a product with that, that boasts being upcycled in addition to some other benefit that they're offering to the consumer. Um, totally. Totally. Phil, I feel so, like we, as, that could have been our entire as, podcast episode, right? Like, <laughs> marketing yeah, and, your and as you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and as you know, like the consumer now is like more uh, demanding, more transparency oh, and sure. is like more educated yeah. than it's ever been. And the food industry as a result is moving at like an increasingly rapid pace. So companies oh, are trying wild. to innovate like so rapidly. It, it's really, really exciting to be in here. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that innovation. Let's talk about product development because that really is, that's your specialty. You are great at developing products. So tell me about that process and can you walk me through it? Like I know nothing here. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. 
from that product development lens, like what does the process look like from day one to when you're like truly try, trying to scale, especially with a lens of, of doing it um, efficiently, right? Like we want the end result to work. How do I do that? Yeah, totally. So, you know, first thing, like depending on your product is, you know, what are other products in your category? And then, you know, like identifying like where you can position your brand, but, mm-hmm. you know, specifically with like, within product development, you know, there's sort of two types of ways you can get your ingredients to do R and D testing. And one is using a pro like protocep recipes, which is mm-hmm. protocep is sourcing, you know, retail ingredients like from store. And then there's prototypes where you're using industrial commercial ingredients like that can scale to volumes, you know, cause you, you probably can't go to the store and get a pallet of protein powder, you right. know? Um, so getting good, getting prototype ingredients from ingredient suppliers, you do that simultaneously while you're innovating with protocept recipes. So that way you're not stopping the R and D process. Cause you really want to get it going like <clears throat> as fast as yeah. you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, sure. so that's, so like, that's like, you know, getting like, quinoa at the store and then getting, you know, yeah. dried, get, getting, getting uh, vegetables and then, you know, yes. making like a, a tabbouleh or like a, like yes. a vegetable salad. And simultaneously you're getting like pre-cooked quinoa, you're getting like freeze dried vegetables. And then it can be mm. like a, just add water mix. Like for example, mm. those are yep. kind of one way of, of innovating product development. And then from there, you know, just getting like your nutritional specs, like, like really yep. what do you want it to be? Like identifying like, you know, this snack bar has to be X amount of protein, we want it to be plant-based. So we're going to use like, you know, pea or fava bean protein. Yep. We want it to have this many grams of sugar. And then that's where you can, that's, that's really one of the fun parts of my job is to just kind of play with those numbers and then mm. utilize like all the ingredients. Like, cause there's so many ingredients that like exist <laughs> like out there that like, you know, the, the normal person who, who is not a product developer or doesn't use like an agency would know about. You know, right. but things like, yeah, like sweet, like sweet potatoes is, is like, I think we're going to see a lot of innovation in sweet potatoes in the next few mm. years, but like sweet potatoes are, you know, binders for, for, for ingredients um, and products. They're sweeteners. Ah. They're, they're, um, they're, they're different, like juice concentrates, like as well too, for, huh. for sweet potatoes and, and different. And, and also like you, you can use uh, sweet potato as like a, a clean label, natural dye instead oh. of like food coloring oh, both, yeah, or- sure. both orange and purple which is like oh, yeah. i think you know really really unique so that's cool and then at, and then and then at ccd innovation you know like one of our unique things that like i've just been following this even before i started working you know at this at this company is mm-hmm. one of our unique features is our chef's council so on day one we can use michelin star chefs to create like gold-centered recipes and then we as a product development firm can scale up that Michelin star power of taste without compromise. Oh, that's cool. And, that, and that's, and that's really, really unique where we can get like, you know, a three Michelin star chef to develop, um, you know, a sauce line or um, a confectionery or, um, you know, like pretty much anything because yeah. our, our chef's council is, 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 is so wide and, and CCD innovation has been around for 28 years. And as a result, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've, collected 38 billion dollars like for our clients in just the 30 oh years gosh. that we've been around so wow <laughs> yeah so so i mean like the chef's council is like you know like how do you have this like fine dining restaurant experience and how do you channel it into like something that you can ship all over the country all yeah. over the world and, yeah. and 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 have that same experience like in a few bites that's what yeah. is really mm. unique and that's like another fun part of my job at, at cc innovation it sounds like it really 
your position now like combines your your passions like delicious chef inspired food and working with fun ingredients it does it does yeah and 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 also my my passion and and my belief that like food should taste good at every scale yeah yeah so i've got a question for you what about that listener who's like okay ali like I've got my recipe down. Like I, I know what I want to make. Like I've been testing it in my home kitchen. Like I'm good. Do they, or, or I guess, let me rephrase this. How do they know that they should use an R and D lab or like, how do how, how do they know they need help beyond just what they've done in their, their home kitchen and that they're ready to try to scale? Yeah. So just ensuring that it has a shelf life, you know, like mm-hmm. depending on what the product is, you know, like, is the pH low enough? Um, what kind of kill step do they have? Like, so mm-hmm. that way it's, it, it can last longer on the shelf or, or in, 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 in a different aisle of the shelf, you know, like what's the water activity of a baked good, like a lot of t- typically a lot of home recipes or, or, or baked goods. Um, yep, and for sure. <laughs> like what, like, does it have a, lo- a low enough water activity that it can be shelf stable or is it something that like it, it, it might need to be refrigerated or, yeah. or frozen? And that's where like a, a consultancy can really identify like where those gaps are and, and, and troubleshoot pretty quickly, like h- how to have that home recipe taste and, and artisanal, yep. like, you know, flavor Feel, of, of sorts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, and, yeah. And, and remain the same texture and, and really, and realistically, like all the same ingredients, like how can we take like processing techniques that are so common in our industry and so standardized mm-hmm. with food companies that that get big and how do we scale that to make sure that we're doing it without compromise and and how yeah. can we get big like how, yeah. how can we we make this home recipe scalable because there'll there'll certainly be a point where you know the cottage food law will not allow you know like <laughs> like you know pallet shipments and and you know right. when Unify is coming to distribute so so it, it depends it depends on you know how big the brand wants to go yep. if if you want to um you know remain like a pop up uh or 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 like something you know, as, as a part-time, it, it's totally possible yeah. to do it like on, on the weekends. And that's, yep. and that's a, do it that's, yourself. A, that's a yep. great way to streamline and doing it yourself. But if you want to get huge, then, you know, the, I, I think it, maybe it's early, it's, it's better to invest earlier than later in some of those checks and balances, because sometimes consultancies come into a project when like founders of companies are like, Oh shit, like yeah. I messed up, like something yeah. went wrong. <laughs> like my, my, my stuff is like, they consumers are opening my jar of uh, it's uh, a, a tomato sauce and it's yeah. it's moldy and you know like how how do we troubleshoot those issues and and I mean it can be really hard to you know remain and you know totally or remain like, on so the market like, and, and yeah yeah like like folks come into retail ready and they're like Allie I only have a 14 day shelf life for the, or like um, maybe even more extreme exam- example. They're like, I have a three day shelf life for this. Like, am I ever going to get wholesale accounts? And I'm like, okay, like, um, you know, there's a, there's some things we can do here. Like, let's talk about what category you're in and like the expectations. And they're like, oh yeah, we're three days and we're like a potato chip. And it's like, Mm-mm, no, mm. like that's, that's not going to work here. Um, yeah. Go, go figure yeah. out your potato chip shelf life. Right. Totally, and it could be. Oh Um, yeah, popcorn, popcorn. which is which is an which I think is a category that's really fun with with COVID now. Like you know, with movie theaters not being 
yeah. open really until you know sooner rather than later hopefully yeah. like maybe consumers are more willing to like you know have that like experience and and pay a premium for popcorn yes. at home you know yes. so <laughs> totally totally yeah and it's so, and, and you yeah, know like a packet packaging considerations and stuff yes. you know like oh nitrogen flushing it so you're taking oxygen out so there are just technical things that like you know firm product development firms do you know, eight to 10 hours a day that, you know, most people don't think about. And right. I think it's, it's, it's really crucial to, to get it right day one so that you can scale without compromise and you can really put your foot on the gas as a founder and do what you're supposed to do, do what, you know, like you, yeah. you, you, yeah. you want to do, do as best. a company and that's mm-hmm. grow the brand. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And like, it would be, I've seen that. I see this happen a lot where you get like, you know, 10,000, a 10,000 bag print run for your popcorn and mm-hmm. then you realize that it's not the right packaging or you don't uh maybe you change the ingredient down the line to extend the shelf life or like whatever it is right and then sure enough you're you have to recycle half of your bags and there's money out the window right yeah. there so uh, i always think about like those ways that brands can invest a little bit more on the front end and save money in the long run right Totally. Totally. Yeah. And there's, there's all different types of crowdfunding, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. sources and ways to democratize investments. So I think now more than ever, you know, get getting, getting funding, not necessarily from a VC, but getting funding from, you know, a, a, a network that you trust can really be an effective way to build an army of supporters that can continue to promote your brand. Cause they're literally invested if you're doing equity crowdfunding, you totally. know, like they're literally <laughs> invested in your success. Totally, totally. Okay, so I've got a question and it's a little bit, um, I'll ask it through the lens of upcycling, but I think it's important for everyone. So say you've developed this product line and you're really excited about it and you've dialed in your production. How how can you ensure that people are going to buy it? And how and how can you ensure they're going to buy it over and over again? I mean, Phil, I feel like you've got a history of um, helping a company like Regrained who potentially had, were, was a hard sell in the beginning and you really helped them with ensuring that their product sold off the shelf. How do you do that? Yeah. I mean, one, one it, it's, it's got to taste great, you know, like mm. really like it's got to be so great that people put it in their mouth and like, wow, that's something that like I didn't realize was on the market and it's something like a bar, a snack, let's just do yeah. a snack bar, for example. Like yeah. it's, a, it's a bar that I didn't realize like tasted that good on the market because all the other bars are either too hard, too soft, um, too, too, too beanie protein like <laughs> yeah. tasting. Yeah, exactly. You know, so one, you know, as mentioned, you know, making sure that you're optimizing the supply chain and then to, to get the product to taste great. In my opinion, there's 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 two two different ways to do it, and and one of them is is creating like a flavor progression. So I'll use mm. Regrain again as an example. But when right. I started Regrain, there was two bars in the market, and the third one, um, we wanted it to be you know something that popped. And I was yeah. like, okay, well, you know, what can what can I create and what can I formulate that you know not only scales is is aligned with our brand, but is a progression of flavors. And and by progression, I mean like three stages. So okay. what what ultimately happened was we we created a a, a blueberry sunflower saison bar, which is mm. it's blueberry, it's like blueberry, like fruit, like up front, and yep. you're getting like that aroma, and then you're getting this this roasted sunflower seed, like kind of almost like a savory tahini flavor yep. next. Yum. Yep. And then you're getting like every seven to eight seconds, you get like a touch of ginger, like in there. Mm. And it was like 
the same ginger you would get in 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 tea at Mm. at a a size that like you would get every seven eight seconds every like two to three bites but it's sort of this stage of progression that it really combines the balance of flavor of you know fruit up front uh savory savory tahini like texture and and sunflower seed aroma and then like a touch of spicy black pepper because it's i love the combination of like fruit and black pepper Mm -hmm. like strawberries or Mm -hmm. blueberries and black pepper and it's sort of taking that chef driven concept and putting it into a bar and creating a flavor progression experience by using the balance of all the flavors Oh, I love, I love hearing you talk about this. This is so, it's so fun to hear you talk about this. So how did, (laughs) it's fun to talk about. How'd it go, Phil? Like how, how, how'd it go when you launched this blueberry bar? It was great. And, you know, it it was, it was good that, you know, people saw regrain for, you know, being more than just two skews because two skews Mm -hmm. isn't really enough to, you know, be considered a line. So it it made us, it it allowed us to get into more accounts. It, It allowed us to get into, you know, um, accounts that were more uh more foodie driven like corporate right. cafeterias and yeah. and um you know like tech like tech companies and stuff like that like uh, some some really good accounts there and yeah so that's, that's sort of like one one way you know you can get insured products like that consumers buy on the shelf will come back for those those products mm-hmm. and then another way too is just to like highlight you know like your ingredients and 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 tell those ingredients with a story that they have and yep. potentially put them on the front of the packet and say like, Hey, this is made with zero added sugars. And then, you know, one trend that's not going away time soon is consumers picking up a package, turning around, looking at the ingredients. It's made with zero added sugars because it's made with dates and sweet potatoes. Like for example, yeah. like as yep. a binder, like it's using uh, lemon juice instead of modified cor- or le- le- lemon juice instead of citric acid, you know, yeah. um, using green banana flour instead of modified cornstarch so yeah adding these like healthy functional ingredient claims and then you know with with some of my favorite examples in 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 plant-based and upcycled ingredients that tell a story as this value add you know over time creating like the getting like the certification for it is even better but it's really just insert ensuring the or validating with the consumer that you know a lot of these uh ingredients that they're using are 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 verified and and you know, nutritionally dense mm-hmm. and tell a story. And to mm-hmm. me, I think that like, if you can, if you can get the consumer to pick it up the first time, it tastes great. They'll go on your website. They'll see all these, you know, you know, the, 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 the everything that aligns with your brand and how it aligns with their lifestyle. And they say, Hey, this is something that, you know, like I can, I can really get on board with something I really want to support. And that's definitely a trend that is not going away anytime soon either. Totally. I, I agree with you that that consumer is just getting more and more savvy and they like, they want to know where their food is coming from and they want to know about the brand. Right. It almost, I don't know. I think it's both liberating and, you know, exciting, but also a little intimidating. Like people are really like, they expect a lot from food brands nowadays. And that's, and that's, that's a, great thing about the food industry is that consumers are demanding more from food companies, you know, whether it's, you know, of of verifying a supply chain um, that is, you know, using like ethical labor, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's using ingredients that are, are, you know, recirculated and regenerated, you know, through food technology in in our, in our supply chain, like, and considered upcycled. 
whether it's like plant-based. I mean, there's a huge one. (laughs) It's like, it's just, it's been, it's already here. It's been exploding, you know, it's plant-based and you know, the, the product that they bought before was, you know, used to be like a beef jerky and now they're buying mushroom jerky. Like, yeah. for example. Oh my God. No, but that's it, me. But that's, it doesn't that's compromise me now. flavor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's like, me too. <laughs> like I'm, I'm one of these consumers. Like <laughs> I, I think like, I think Pam's was the first one that I ever had. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is delicious. <laughs> like what yeah. have I been missing? Um, I mean, not that I was like buying I, a lot of beef jerky beforehand, but like now right. I will, I guess like that was a category that it, I didn't, really buy right like unless I was on yeah. like a long road trip and I was like at a you know rest stop in the middle of the country but um right. I will now like actively buy mushroom jerky me too and pans was the first I tasted also and it was at expo west and mm-hmm. he had this like applewood barbecue one and I was like dude this is really good like how come like Michael how come I've never heard of yeah. this yeah. You know, and he was like, well, we're, we're small, we're in Portland, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to scale. We're, 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 we're hopefully going to get pretty big. And like the next year I saw him, he had like new packaging yep. and yep. he had like another skew. And I was like, dude, like, can I help you get a huge man? <laughs> like, yeah. And like, he is the nicest guy too. I mean, agreed. he deserves Absolutely. all of his, his success. So, um, and I think like, I, I think mushroom jerky and like, maybe, you know, this more than I do. I think it's a new product in the West, but I think mushroom jerky as a whole has been around for, for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's one of the things that, you know, pan jerky kind of traces its origins to is that like, it's a, it's like a Buddhist recipe, like from, from his family. And he took it and was like, Hey, like, this is a great idea. Like people need to know about this story. Like, how can I, you know, figure out a way to make people aware and, and he hasn't compromised on any of his brand values, which is just amazing. That's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Especially because he has that like cultural tie to the product that totally. he's developing and, and introducing. That's very cool. Recently mm-hmm. on Shark Tank. So really? Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't like, know that. Uh, oh, cool. <laughs> like, it just passed Sunday. So next, oh, time you, awesome. next time you talk to him, next time you talk awesome. to him, ask him. Cool. I I will. I will. Okay, cool. So, um, Phil, I feel like, gosh, I feel like I have a few more questions for you. Um, so I, I want to know about manufacturing because you've got, you've got experience with this as well. So how, how does a brand determine if they should manufacture themselves or if they should use a co-packer? Great question. Um, I, and I think about this all the time and there isn't like a right or wrong answer, okay. but there are answers nevertheless. And one of the ways is, you know, one, it's, it's product dependent, you know, like mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, like baked goods, um, and, and especially like desserts and like really artisanally crafted desserts, like they should start in a commercial kitchen. Cause you should understand how to, how to get the, the process flow, right. You know, because there yep. may be like a few different components. You may have to blind bake a tart shell, make a lemon curd, you know, pipe yep. a meringue, torch it, you know, in, in, in the oven to make a, a lemon meringue tart. And there may be like a few, a few different steps there. And like, initially that's really expensive, like at a mm-hmm. co-packer, just there's yeah. more labor and, and more energy, like, and, and the ovens can kind of be inconsistent, like uh, depending on your co-packer and, and, and co-man. So I think like with, with pastry, uh, 
it's not that much of a stretch because mm-hmm. part of the idea behind pastry is like how much volume and production you can you can you push. Yep. So like I think that should start in a commercial kitchen and and that even extends to like comic like products that are not too complicated like chocolate chip cookies even because yeah, it's so sure. easy to make. So so I think I think that like yeah for the for that category it's 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 good to start in a commercial kitchen juicing like is another one even though it requires mm-hmm. like all another passive addendum you know to your food yeah. safety plan. <laughs> it's one that like you can really just like push out and and, and crush like a lot of volume by hand but yeah. something like a mushroom jerky you know yeah, um, some, something like uh ex- like ex- extruded puffs or yep. like you mentioned potato chips like yep. well, these things like have to be done <laughs> like at co-packers yep. Yep. like with extruded yep. like with extruded snacks in, in that category oh, yeah. like the, like, yeah, like the fuller food or the fuller foods ones oh i yeah. love those things those cheese puffs are so good oh, they're so good yeah yep yeah. So like th- those, like the, the shape of the dye, which the dye is um, like the shape of the end products and, yep. and how it's puffed, the, the, um, the, how much steam you can inject in the chamber to puff up the cell structure mm. of, of, of the, of the ingredients they're using. So you get like a fuller, you know, foods flavor, yep. like, uh, and, and texture, yep. um, what are ingredients that like, aren't really in like commercially, um, viable, um, you know, and, and aren't, aren't, um, what, what, what are ingredients, pardon me, you know, what are ingredients that are only commercially viable right. and, yep. um, don't exist like, uh, like, you know, calcium carbonate, like calcium carbonate in, you know, 0.5 to 0.7% <laughs> is something yeah. that like, it can really make a product difference, but it's huh. like, you just can't do the R and D in any commercial kitchen um, because extrusion, you know, technologies like millions of dollars that I have, and you have to be right. like on site of the co-packer. So if it's a snack product, like jerky, like extrusion, um, typically it's done with, with, uh, with a co-packer. And, and there are ways where you can tr- like do R and D trials and all different types of formulas at the, the co-packer. And that, that's like really, really a, a fun part of my job. Mm. And then with, with like more artisanal baked good products or desserts, um, to some extent, even like, you know, high-end sauces, like yeah. I believe that those yeah. start in the commercial kitchen and yeah. in the same way that you're developing a prototype recipe versus a prototype recipe, you can slowly align how to get the right co-packers so that you're not compromising, you know, your, your process and your product and giving your customers like the best experience of your brand. Totally. I think it's, um, I always think it's interesting to think about that person, you know, just like, you know, a regular person like you or I who is like, I want to start a puff company or like, I want Mm -hmm. to start a jerky company and they just take the leap. It feels like such a big leap to go directly to a co-packer. But when you think about it from um, a product development standpoint, where it's, it's literally like, you know, do I have the capital to buy the puff extruder machine? It's a no brainer. And all the ingredients required for the large MOQs and, yep. you know, how can you have the shelf life? Cause you know, you, you don't want to be sitting on a bunch of inventory that you can't sell. And yeah. you know, like from, from listening to your podcast, like you don't just immediately have one conversation with buyers. Like it's a process <laughs> to really get into these counts, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's a few, a few different dependencies there for sure. Totally. And I feel what I, what I love is 
you, again, like your enthusiasm about this, because I can't tell you how many students in inside of Retail Ready are like, oh, like now we got to go do another trial with our co-packer. And now we got to like test a different ingredient or like test this different thing. And it, and it really feels like, um, it often feels like a drag for them. And I love the idea that there are people out there like you who get fired up about this, this process. Yeah. And, and I, I get fired up of about supporting, you know, these, these founders mm. and, and these, these, these emerging brands, you know, and, and even the big companies uh, because they're already innovating and, and doing something, you know, with, with scalable volume. So like for, for us, it's, it's, it's the fun part of it. Um, which is why mm-hmm. I'm in this part of my favorite part yeah. of the food, of the food <laughs> business, you know, R and D and commercial everything in between to commercializing and and scaling up, you know, as opposed to being a founder, like you're probably getting into the food industry yeah. for you know s- similar reasons, but you know, um, sometimes different reasons. And one of those reasons is probably not being at a co-packer in the right. middle of nowhere, you know, right. because that's where a lot of co-packers are and, 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 you know, waking up at three in the morning because that's the only time you can get line time right. you know, to do your R and D trial. Like I get real, I mean, it's, I, I don't know what it is. It's just, I get really excited about, about <laughs> trialing and R and D. And I feel like, you know, if, if you're, if I'm able to, to, to come away with a, a finished product that is, you know, like, not only delicious but scalable and you know has all the packaging like ready to go like that really excites me because it 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 really excites me to bring someone something and and have them be set up for success for a very long time uh yes oh man phil i feel like this is a great way to to end our episode here with your enthusiasm about helping emerging and established brands so for my listeners who know they need you and they're like, Phil, I need a fill in my life. Um, how can they find you? Where do they keep in touch with you? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really active on LinkedIn. Um, that's sort of how I stay current with what's going on in our industry and, and, and all the news feed around there. Um, and yeah, you can, you're, you're always welcome to, you know, shoot a line to CC innovation, you know, even info at CC innovation. Um, and you know, we can, we can continue the conversation from there. But yeah, feel Perfect. feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and um, I look forward to, to meeting you in person. Thanks, Phil. I, I'll put all of that contact information in the show notes. And again, thanks for coming on the podcast. I Again, I could oh, chat with you me. all day long. Thanks for all your Seriously. time today. <laughs> Until right, next Phil. time, Allie. Thank you all for right, your time have too. Have a good one. Of course. You too. Take care. Bye. Okay, my whizzes. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I... You can tell I love how much practical knowledge Phil gave us today, and I hope that you guys were frantically taking notes as we outlined what you should think through in product development, all of Phil's thoughts on upcycling. I just I just love it, I and I really appreciate how much he talked about how it impacts your connection to your consumers. So from here, you guys, you you know the drill. I would love to continue the convo in our Food Biz Whiz Facebook group. So come and join us. We are well over 2,000 food and beverage founders in there discussing all things related to the CPG industry. So find the invite to my free group at foodbizwiz.com or linked in today's show notes. So I'll be back here next week. So until then, have a good one. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. 
Instead of having a sponsor for today's episode, I want to give you a freebie, my retail roadmap. This roadmap is essential for anyone launching or growing a packaged food product, as it clearly outlines the difference between creating a product line that flies off the retail shelf versus one that just sits there. Find my free retail roadmap linked in today's show notes. You are going to love it. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.